Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. That I want to share with you this morning. I just want to take a minute and, um, you know, obviously this last week, this last year, this last period of time in our nation has been a really crazy, crazy time. And uh, a lot of shaking is going on in our nation, and I have found myself, probably like a lot of you, really brokenhearted over a lot of things, just heavy, grieving what I'm watching. As I've said many times to people that I've talked to, I think the main thing that's broke my heart and grieved me is to watch people's relationships be broken, people be separated and torn apart by political ideology, by differences of opinion. Um, And I know some of those opinions are really important and strong, but I have found myself, like many of you, just kind of almost in a sense of grief, really sad by what I see. And what what I want to encourage all of us to do during the time that we're in right now is to pray. Right? And, and I know that sounds so trite, pray, right? It sounds trite, but here's the reality. It's the most powerful and truth-filled thing we can do. Because the reality is, is it's hard right now to discern what is true, what is up and what is down. A lot of things are really, really muddy. And so when we come before God and we seek His face and we pray and we call out to Him, And we just ask Him, first and foremost, work here. Change me. Show me where I have stinking thinking, right, and where I'm off. Show me myself first. And then secondarily, help me relate and respond to people rightly, right, in a Christ-like way. And to not always see the other as an enemy, but rather to see them as somebody in need of the grace and the love of God every bit as much as I need it, right? And so we, we just really, at this time, we need to pray, and I, I want to encourage you during this time to, to remember that our unity, when we talk about unity, we're not talking about the idea of everybody has to agree, right? It's, it's ironic when you look at the Bible. Jesus called 12 disciples, and he had two in particular, more than two, but he had two in particular that were at complete opposites of what we would call the political spectrum. One of them was a zealot who was working to overthrow the Roman government. And one of them was a tax collector who was working for the Roman government. And they would have hated each other. And yet Jesus in his divine wisdom called them to follow him. And he didn't call them to this place of political agreement. He called them to the true dividing line. And the true dividing line is him. Right? And he basically said, look, we're going to be one, and it's going to be because of me, right? You guys are brothers, and that's what I want to remind all of us about right now is that in the body of Christ, in the church, we are brothers and sisters, not just temporarily and not just by blood, but eternally and by the Spirit, and that means that we're going to have to be with each other forever. Now, think about that one for a minute. Forever. Right? And, and let me just tell you, there's not going to be, you know, in the new heavens, in the new earth, 
There isn't going to be a Democrat section, a Republican section, right? I'm sorry, it's not going to be like that. It's going to be like, hey, y'all, Jesus is central. And you know what's funny is none of us are going to care. So let me just remind you, love one another. And man, if you look at, at, at people as an enemy, well, then here's my challenge. Jesus said, love your enemies. So there's no escape, right? You can't get away from your call to live extravagantly, to live supernaturally, because it takes supernatural love to love people that are not like you, right? Even people that you vehemently disagree with. But that's what we're called to. We're called to a higher thing. We're not called to the low thinking of our age and our era. We're called to a higher kind of love, a higher kind of thinking, and it's kingdom of God thinking. Amen. So, thank you, Lord. Amen. Okay, so... Back in November, how many of you remember the month of November? It was like ages ago. Back in November, we were in the midst of a series here in our church on the book of Galatians. I should say the letter to the Galatians. And uh, we were, we'd finished three chapters, there were six chapters in the book, and we were kind of, you know, breaking it down verse by verse. And uh, we're coming back to it now, and it's been six weeks since we got into the book of Galatians, so I'm going to be going back into the fourth chapter today. And the way we're going to finish in the next few weeks is we're going to just highlight each of the chapters. So today is going to be chapter four, next week chapter five, the week after that is chapter six. And so today is going to be a highlight film or a highlight reel of Galatians chapter four. And uh, my message today is simply called, We're Set Free and Adopted children of promise. We're set free and adopted children of promise. So if you're following along and you got a Bible, you got a paper Bible, you got a digital Bible, I'll be in the New Living Translation and I'll be in the fourth chapter of Galatians. I'm going to do the entire chapter, but I'm going to just kind of skip some things and move through it pretty quickly. So um, before we do anything, though, I want to review quickly where we've been. Here's what we've learned so far. We've learned that there's only one gospel There's only one gospel. The word gospel means good news. It's the announcement of a king. An announcement of a king and how his birth and his life has changed the world and will continue to change all of creation. That's what a gospel was. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is the the declaration of a king who who has changed the world, is changing the world, and ultimately will change every molecule of creation. That's a gospel. And uh, we've learned that in every generation, there are false teachings and false teachers, ideologies and philosophies that come along to hijack the gospel and to take it over. And we have seen that in our time. There are many false gospels today. We live in a time with as many false gospels as, as there have ever been. We have a a couple of false gospels right now that are prominent in our culture. One is the false gospel of the radical left that conflates its political philosophy with the gospel of Jesus and tries to merge the two of them. And there is the false gospel of the radical right, which has tried to hijack and take over the gospel and equate 
the candidate you vote for or the party that you're a, a part of or, or the backing that you give with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the scripture is clear. None of those things are the gospel. The gospel is centered around the person and the work of Jesus Christ and it can be exported to any culture in the world and it cannot be eclipsed by a figure, by a party, by an ideology, by a philosophy. It is central to why we are followers of Jesus Christ. And so that's, that's one thing we learned is that there are things out there trying to hijack the gospel. And can I just appeal to you, my brothers and my sisters, Hold your views, but don't let anything hijack your devotion to Jesus Christ. In the name of being somehow the right godly way. Okay, I hope you've heard my heart. If you haven't, that's okay. It's up to the Holy Spirit anyway, right? We've learned that faith alone in Christ will make us right with God. Not keeping the commandments or the laws of God and not good works. So we've been getting liberated from the idea that it's not up to our perfect performance. It's not up to your song and dance to impress God and get Him to love you. But Jesus alone and His death on that cross in your place. His bearing of your sin and your death alone makes you right with God. And I don't know about you, but that's really good news. Well... Three of you think so. Okay. We've learned that faith in Jesus will bring us into God's family as sons and daughters. And today we're going to look deeper into what it means to be set free from law keeping and to be adopted as sons and free, free sons and daughters of the Most High God. And that is good news. Today we're going to start with this point. We're going to start with this idea. Number one. That you are not a slave, but you are an adopted son or daughter. You are not a slave, but you are an adopted son or daughter. I want you to look with me at Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. This is a really, really powerful text of Scripture. Again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Let's check it out. I think of it this way. This is Paul writing to the church there in the region of Galatia and Asia Minor. He says, I think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have had to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Wow! That's loaded, isn't it? That is a powerful text of Scripture. Now let's, let's look at this particular point and, and kind of break it down a little bit. First of all, the Old Testament and the law and commandments 
were our guardian until Christ came. I don't know if you realize that, but before Jesus came, the Old Testament law, the commandments of God were like a guardian was in the Roman culture. And let me tell you about a guardian in the Roman culture. The reason it says that a child wasn't much better off than a slave was because in the Roman culture, you had guardians that raised you. Parents hired guardians who themselves were slaves, and those guardians had rule over your life. And if they said jump, you said how high? And that's really the way it was. And they had the authority and the right to do pow-pows with you if you didn't obey the rules. They had complete authority, almost carte blanche. They weren't allowed to abuse, obviously, but they had carte blanche authority from the parents to make my child obey the rules, teach them right from wrong, and teach them how we live in Roman culture and society and how to hold yourself up in the community. So Paul is using this idea of guardianship, and this is what he's saying. The Old Testament law and the commandments were like a guardian. What does a guardian do? That guardian teaches you what right from wrong is and disciplines you when you disobey and, and, and maybe rewards you when, you when you obey, but mostly that's what you're supposed to do. And if you think about it, a child, even though a guardian can say, that's right and this is wrong, do the right thing, you might do the right thing while the guardian's watching, but you all know what we're like as kids many times when mom and dad go the other way, our hand's in the cookie jar, right? And so a guardian doesn't have the power to change your behavior from the inside out. They're merely a, a power or an authority outside of you showing, what you showing you what you should do or what you shouldn't do. But they don't have the power to change you from within. And the law doesn't have the power to change us from within. That's why, you know, if you're in your own life trying to behave and be good and, and you're thinking, man, if I just really, if I just keep the commandments and I'm really good and I do all the right things and I pray and I go to church and I read my Bible and I do all the things the pastor tells me to do, not this pastor, but anyway, then God will love me and accept me and I'll be okay in his kingdom. You're missing it. You're living under the guardianship of the law when you should have been set free. By putting faith in Jesus Christ. That's good news, isn't it? Secondly, God sent Jesus to buy our freedom from the law. We're now free from any need to perform and keep all the rules perfectly to be right with God. Because Jesus, think about this, because Jesus has kept all the commandments and laws perfectly, right? He's done that and we trust him. All of that is accredited to us. He has kept the law perfectly on our behalf. One concept, if, if you're you know, studying or trying to learn about Christianity, the gospel, one concept that runs all through it is the idea of substitution. And one of the ideas or concepts behind substitution is, is the, the idea that when Jesus came, he stood as the federal head of humanity. The first federal head was Adam. And all of us, Adam sinned, and all of us followed in Adam's train of sin. And sin carried on to us, and we died. And so he was our, he was kind of the, the head. And the word Adam means, I mean, the, yeah, the word Adam means man. So the pattern man from the beginning sinned and fell, and we've all fallen with him. 
But Christ is called the last Adam, the second Adam in the New Testament. And when he died in our place, when he rose again from the dead in our place, when he kept the law perfectly in our place, we were in him and he was keeping it on our, on our behalf. So that when we stand before God having put trust in what Jesus Christ has done for us on a Roman torture device called a cross, and we believe that he died for me, he didn't just die for me, he lived for me, he lived for you, and he kept God's laws and commandments perfectly so you don't have to. Because you're unable to. You can try your hardest to do it and you'll fail over and over again. As Paul says in Romans chapter 7, the things I don't want to do, these I do. And the things I do want to do, I don't do. So he shows us the the dilemma of what it means to be human. We can never uphold God's perfect standard. And so Jesus came and upheld it for us on our behalf. That's incredible news. And so he bought our freedom from the law liberated us, and adopted us as sons and daughters. Which takes me to my next point. By faith, we are now adopted children and heirs with the spirit of the Son in us. We've been adopted as full sons and daughters with all the privileges, all the inheritances of a son or daughter in that time that possessed and even now. The spirit, think about this, the spirit of the Son himself resides in us. This is if you've trusted Christ. The Spirit of the Son resides in you to live out His life through you. And that Spirit of the Son cries out, Abba, Father. We see Jesus modeling for us His relationship with the Father in the the Gospels. And when He prayed, the word that is often used, the Greek word that's often used is Abba. And Abba is, our closest word would be like Dad or Daddy. So when Jesus is relating to His Father, He's saying, Abba, Father. I not only pray for these that are with me, but I pray for those who will follow. He says that in John 17. He uses the the word Abba. Well, we now have that adopted spirit in us, the spirit of the Son himself. And when we approach God, we don't come to God as this, you know, this tyrant on a throne. This He is almighty, he is all powerful, but as children of God, we don't need to approach him like, you know, any second. He's just going to make a grease spot out of us on the pavement, right? He's just going to kind of Get rid of us because he's sick of hearing from us. Or we don't have to come before him like beggars hoping he hears us. But we can bound into his presence through Christ's blood. And we know that we have access to a throne called grace. That's what it's called, the throne of grace in Hebrews. right? So we come before the throne of grace boldly that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. What does the scripture teach? The scripture teaches that we can approach God as though he really is our father. And we are sons and daughters who have an inheritance coming our way. That's incredible. You see, we've, we're both adopted and born into his family. That's why the scripture says you must be born again, born anew, born from above. And adoption is the state of coming into our full rights and privileges as a son or daughter. See, those children under a guardian, they were sons and daughters. But when they came to a certain age, even though they were already the sons and daughters of the father, they went through like a ceremony of adoption. And that ceremony of of adoption was really them moving into the full status that a son or a daughter would move into to receive all the inheritance and the privileges of the father. And at that time, they became a partner with the father. Isn't that powerful? 
I'm excited. See, our adoption in Jesus addresses so many painful issues within the human condition. Things like abandonment as a child, rejection, abuse, neglect, father, you know, daddy issues, mommy issues, the neglect, the abuse you go through as a child, all the drama in your family. A lot of you that are sitting in this room like me, our upbringings, our backgrounds are riddled with brokenness. And we go along through our life, man, we put on our best face and we play the game and we get into, here's the problem in the church so many times, we get into the church and we learn better than any other place, this is so sad, we learn better than any other place how to wear masks in church, how to put on a false identity, how to sing and dance and pretend, say hallelujah, praise God, brother, praise the, how are you, praise the Lord, the Lord is good, right, God is good all the time, <laughs> And all of that is true. But the problem is, is we often aren't really addressing the underlying issues in our life. And so what happens is we play religious out here, but our private lives are full of addiction, sin, fear, bondage, slavery to stuff and people's opinions and all of it. We live full of all kinds of insecurity. We live like we're still the abandoned, rejected, neglected, forsaken, forgotten children that maybe we grew up as. And what the adoption of God for us, Him adopting us into His family, what it does when He puts the Spirit of the Son in us is it begins to heal. God begins to go into the deepest parts of our being and restore them. And I don't care how macho you are, how strong you are, how big you are. If you got father issues from your childhood, you know right this minute that stuff is messing your life up. And if you don't deal with it, it's going to mess up your relationships. It's going to continue to give you trouble in your workplace. Everywhere you go, it's going to torpedo you but when you begin to recognize i'm beloved i'm a son i'm a daughter i'm forgiven i'm beloved i'm good i don't have to sing and dance i don't have to perform but i'm already good with god the father he's forgiven me he's loved me he's cleansed me i'm in it's not in jeopardy his love isn't hanging me over the fires of hell don't blow it if you mess it up a little bit boom Ha-ha! We act like God's some crazy man that likes to see people tormented. Is anybody following me here? Okay. Sorry, I... Yeah. So, all these things, this neglect, this abuse, rejection, abandonment, they can be healed and redeemed when a person has a true revelation of the position and the place they have in God's family. We are now beloved, accepted, Embraced, redeemed, forgiven, and safe within the Father heart of God. I mean, that's profound. And, and I'm going to tell you something. When you, and, and I don't live there all the time. I wish I did. But every once in a while, I have these streaks in my life where I, I live as though this is true. I live with a sense of confidence that I'm, and really security that I'm beloved, that God's crazy about me. And that it's not up to me doing everything just right. And, and during those times, 
I'm the greatest help to others. I, I lose track of myself. I, I quit thinking about me and all my issues. And I live as though I'm beloved and secure and safe in God. And I, I can actually give myself away to others in a better way. How many of you have experienced that? There's, you know, periods of time where you're actually really secure in the love of God. Now, what would you say if I told you God wants you to live there all the day, 24-7, 365, 366 on leap year? Huh? What if I told you that God wants you to live in that kind of security and love all the time to where you don't have to do the song and dance, right? How could that liberate your life? Am I talking to anybody? All right, I, that's only my first point. Number two, I got to move quickly here. Don't go back into slavery. This is the second main point. Number two, don't go back into slavery. Stay a free son or daughter. Galatians 4, 8 through 20 is the whole section. I don't have time to go through all of it, but I'm going to read verses 8 through 12 and 19 and 20. Look at it with me. Before you Gentiles knew God, quick question. Anybody in here Jewish in your, in your background, your heritage is Jewish? Anybody Jewish? Okay? I'm sorry, I know you're I'm not going to raise my hand if I am. I no. But, okay, so, so what that means is, is, is on three, everybody say this to me. One, two, three, say, I'm a Gentile. One, two, three, I'm a Gentile. Okay, so Paul is writing to you. Now, I do want to tell you the New Testament teaches after you put faith in Jesus Christ, you become a spiritual Jew. That's what it teaches, right? Your heart gets circumcised and you're in the family. But, but as far as our blood goes, we're all Gentiles. Right, so here's what the scripture says. So Paul says, before you Gentiles, he's talking to you. Say, he's talking to me. Turn around to somebody else and say, he's talking to you. And then you say back to him, you're talking to me? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. The cheese is flowing right now here. <laughs> the corn, <laughs> popcorn's really going. Okay, here we go. Verse, verse 8, before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that that do not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say, now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more, once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You're trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do, in freedom from these things. For I've become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. You did not mistreat me when I first preached to you. Verse 19, oh my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. And they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. I wish I were with you right now so that I could change my tone. But at this distance, I don't know how to help you. What's Paul saying? Paul's kind of... He's, if you remember the early parts of the book, he's kind of frustrated with these people. He's frustrated with them because they've had such freedom and now they're going back into bondage. He says, don't go back into slavery by trying to keep all the laws and the days and the seasons and the years. See, he's addressing both Jewish people and Gentile people. And here's how this text relates to each of them. The Jewish people, he's addressing them who are saying that the only way you can really be right with God is if you keep the feasts, Sabbaths, the special religious seasons, and you do all that the law commands. Males need to be circumcised. That's what he was teaching. That's what the false teachers were teaching, I should say. And then he addresses the pagan traditions of astrology and seasonal pagan festivals. 
He's telling them not to go back into the slavery and superstition that comes with such things. See, we see people today in our culture, in the church, returning to slavery, thinking that they have to return to, for instance, the Jewish roots of their faith. I hear that all the time. You got to go back to the Hebraic Jewish roots of, of Christianity. No, you don't. You have to keep the faith. If you really want to be in on what God is doing, if you really want to flow with the Holy Spirit, if you really want to, f- if you want to have deeper knowledge of what it means to follow God, you need to make sure you keep the Feast of Tabernacles and the Passover, and you got to go through all these feasts, and you keep the Shabbat, keep Sabbath. It has to be on Saturday. It starts at Friday night as the sun goes down, and it goes all the way to Saturday night as the sun goes down, and you got to keep that. And you, oh, you might as well, you're at it. Let's keep the dietary laws. And, and, and so what I see happening to many Christians out there is they believe they have to buy in to going back to their Jewish roots in order for them to really be in on what God's doing. And Paul categorically here and in Colossians and in other parts of the New Testament and then over in the book of Hebrews, another writer says, don't do it. You only need to have faith in Jesus Christ. If you want to do those things to learn, to grow in your understanding of Scripture, if you want to do them so you can see Christ in them, beautiful. But then don't make it a requirement for others. Don't say to others, you know, basically if you really want to move with God, you have to do these things. He's saying, no, you don't have to do any of that. But just as wrong or just as weird are Christians that I know that follow their daily horoscopes. Right? They read, what's my horoscope? My sign is this. My sign is a Taurus. And we don't realize that's paganism. Right? We're we're actually putting ourselves under bondages. Because we're relying on stars that God made, that the Creator made, to tell us our future, to tell us about our day. And Paul's saying, listen, don't get into your pagan festivals and your star watching. Because those are the kinds of belief systems that existed at that time. Follow Jesus. He's the star. A star was put in the sky that led us to him. And that was God showing us that all the heavens and the earth declare him. He's the center of it all. He's the one that will tell you your future. He's the one that will give you your destiny. Quit looking at your darn horoscope and look at Jesus. Some of you were afraid I was going to use the other D word, but I didn't. Okay. Let me, just, uh, let me just illustrate it here with, with a story by a man named David Prince. Listen to this. He says, I know a family who adopted an older child from an unspeakably horrific orphanage in another country. When they brought her home, one of the things they told her was that she was expected to clean her room every day. When she heard about that responsibility, she fixated on it and saw it as a way she would earn her family's love. In other words, she isolated the responsibility and applied it to her existing frame of thinking that was shaped by life in the orphanage. Thus, every morning when her parents came in her room, it was immaculate, and she would sit on the bed and she would say, my room is clean, can I stay? Do you still love me? Her words broke her new parents' hearts. Eventually, the girl learned to hear her parents' words as their unconditionally beloved child who would never be forsaken, not as a visitor trying to earn her place in the family. After she knew that she was an inseparable part of the family story, even correction and discipline did not cause her to question her family's love for her. 
she understood correction and discipline to be part of what it meant to be in the family. That's powerful. You see, when our kids were growing up, we had a saying all the time with them. We'd say, remember, correction is not rejection. But direction and protection. We would say that to them. And how many of you know they loved that? <laughs> this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. Right. But there's a, there's a point there. When you, if you believe the only way I'm going to be loved is if I do and I perform, then your motivations will cause you to become a rule keeper and a law keeper and you'll fall short all the time and you'll be self-condemned. But if you believe I'm already beloved and I want to obey my father and I want to do what pleases him to give him joy and because I know that's what's best for me, I know it's good for me, I know it's healthy for me to follow God's way and, and if I adopt that and embrace that and I do it not to try to prove something but as a response to being loved, I, I swap the whole thing, right? I turn it upside down. And I live in the freedom that God has for me. Listen, don't get the idea that what I'm saying to you is that somehow God doesn't want us to live holy or doesn't even want us to have morality. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is the motivation for doing it has to be from the inside out and has to be rooted and grounded in love and grace. Does that make sense? Okay, I really got to move. So, tell me to hurry up, would you? Okay. I'm almost done. See, Paul reminds them not to reject his faithful witness, not to reject his teaching and to embrace these false teachers. You know, later in that chapter, he says, look, look, guys, you know my way of life. You know what I've taught you. You know how I've sacrificed for you. You know how I've given for you for years. And I, I, I want you to see that that is the nature of Jesus himself. And these false teachers, they're coming in and they're confusing you. But I want you to remember our history together. I led you to Jesus, and this is what Jesus is like. He's not like this, right? And then he reveals a true shepherd's heart, a true spiritual parent's heart. He says, I yearn that Christ be formed in you, that Christ be shaped in you. And that's the cry of any true shepherd, any true teacher, pastor, apostolic ministry, whatever it may be, five-fold ministry. The, the cry in the heart is, is not that, you know, somehow... Our platforms become great or people look at us. The, the true cry of a true shepherd's heart is that Christ be formed in you. That Jesus begin to become real to you. That you know him. That you love him. That you want to follow him. That you get your own relationship with him. That you learn yourself to go to this book and to dig in and to seek his face and to know him. And to understand that you're his beloved. Right? That's the cry of any true shepherd's heart. And that's what he's saying. I've been this kind of a shepherd to you. Which takes me to my last point, And that is by faith, we are God's children of promise and freedom. I'm going to end with this. Boy, I, it's so hard sometimes to know what to edit out when you're preaching. I have to tell you. We have to embrace the new covenant of grace in Jesus Christ. And become children of promise and freedom. Do you know... 3,800 years ago, 3,800 years ago or so, there was a guy named Abram kind of going about his own business and God met him. God encountered him. And when he encountered him, he said, Abram, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to give you an incredible family. 
And that family is going to be like the stars of the heavens, the sand of, of the sea, and like the dust of the earth. And that family is going to be a blessing to all the families on planet earth. And we know in the New Testament that that was fulfilled when Jesus Christ came and he died. He died on a cross to win the nations, to bring every man, woman, child on earth into his fold, right? He died for us. He died for you. And, and you may not realize this, but if you're sitting here today and you follow Jesus and you love him and you know him, you are a promise fulfillment. You are the fulfillment of a promise that God gave to a man 3,800 years ago. You sitting here today, think about it. We want to know, is the Bible true? Is the Bible right? He said this 3,800 years ago. And today, in every nation on planet Earth, not quite to every people group yet, but it's still spreading. But all over this planet are people who follow Jesus Christ and are the sons and the daughters of Abraham. They put faith in the God of Abraham and they follow him. And that is the fulfillment of a promise made. So your promised children, your heirs, amen? You're free in Jesus Christ. And you're no longer a slave to the law and the commandments. You see, trust in Jesus and the grace of God and become a child of God. And you'll be free and a part of God's great inheritance. When you trust in Jesus, you are a promise of God that's been fulfilled. You are now a full son or daughter of God with all the privileges of that status. You are loved. You are adopted. You are secure. You are free. You are forgiven. And you are promised a future beyond your wildest imagination. Eternal life is yours. Eternal bliss is yours. Eternal joy is yours. And a new world is coming. A new creation. A new heavens and earth will be made. And you'll be a part of that, sharing with that inheritance and all of creation with God as your father, Jesus as your brother, the Holy Spirit as your helper for eternity. That is the inheritance of the saints. And that's what belongs to you and I.